As we continue our sermon series on what it means to live in the light of Christ, I would encourage you to take that red pew Bible that's in front of you and turn to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses uh, 12 to 30. It may be found on page 1137 of your red pew Bible, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the great gift of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, that we celebrate this Christmas, that he was born in a lowly manger in Bethlehem so many years ago, in the most humble of circumstances, to show us just how much you love us. Those humble circumstances led him ultimately to a cross that we might have our sins atoned for because of your great love. So God, I pray that as we continue our time thinking about what it means to live in the light of your great love, to live in the light of Christ, that as you read this familiar text this morning, that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30, again it's found on page 1137. Listen to God's word. Jesus said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to you, the world, what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about his father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasant to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. 
Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been on a date and you knew that this was going to be your only date with this person? I had a few of those in college. One of them stands out in particular. I was involved with the student government at Trinity University, and I shared office hours with this really cute girl, but we were very different. She was from San Francisco, California. I'm from Midland, Texas. She was a 49ers fan. I'm a Cowboys fan, right? She voted for Clinton. I voted for Bush. We had very little in common, but she was quite cute. And one day, she mentioned that she'd been going to worship at the University Presbyterian Church right next to campus. When I heard that she was going to a Presbyterian church, I said, oh, it must be the Lord. I mean, after all, she's cute. And how many Presbyterians could actually be on this campus, right? Well, Trinity University, where I went to college, was actually founded as a Presbyterian school. So there's quite a few Presbyterians on the campus. But like I said, she was cute. So after one morning working on a project together, I asked her if she'd like to grab some lunch. And she said yes. And so we had a a lunch date together, and it was a great conversation, at least starting out. She told me about her her background and her life goals and what she liked about school and her favorite classes. And, you know, she was an English major. I was an economics major, pretty different. But learning a lot about what books she was reading, I enjoyed the conversation. And then we turned to the subject of faith. And I said, well, I understand you've been going to University Presbyterian Church. Did you grow up Presbyterian? And she said, well, yes, I did. In fact, I I like going to church. and, And I like Jesus. But I'm not one of those Christians who thinks everybody needs to believe in Jesus. And then she said, what about you? I said, well, I am one of those Christians who thinks everyone needs to believe in Jesus. And I could tell the look on her face that this is going to be our only date. <laughs> one and done. Of course, thanks be to God, just a few years later, I met my lovely wife, Sarah, and we've all lived happily ever after. But how am I to be so bold to say that, well, that we all have to believe in Jesus, that everybody needs to believe in Jesus? Because... Well, she had a point. She mentioned that there are so many different religions. How could we say that you have to believe in Jesus? I mean, there's, by some estimates, over 4,000 different religions. Where do we get this idea that everyone needs to believe in Jesus? I think we get it from our text this morning, from the very words of Jesus, specifically in this second I am statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Let's look at that again, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice that Jesus says, I am the light. He doesn't say I'm a light among many lights. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus makes a very exclusive claim that ultimately points to an inclusive love. For he says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what does Jesus mean in this text in John 8, 12, when he says, I am the light of the world? In order to understand it, it's always good to put a a verse within its greater scriptural context and historical context. And we know from John 7 that Jesus is actually in Jerusalem, and he's in the temple court, Uh, helping celebrate the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths was one of the three uh, pilgrimage feasts uh, and celebrations of the Jewish people where they would gather for seven days within Jerusalem and they would build up these temporary booths to remind themselves of the great Exodus journey when everyone had to live in booths. 
And as a part of this celebration, they had these four huge lamps that were 75 feet tall that they would light inside the temple courts of uh, temple courts of the women, specifically the court of the women within the temple courts. And they would light these up. And, and historians and others tell us that these lights would be so bright and brilliant that it would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. It's within this context, within this temple, near these lamps, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Greek word for world here is cosmos. We get the English word cosmos, the cosmos, all of creation, all of the universe, all of everything you can see out in the stars above. He is the light of the cosmos, of the whole world. While these lamps, as big as they were with 75 feet tall, filled with all kinds of oils to burn for brilliantly and brightly for many hours, might light up the city of Jerusalem and be a light for the people, the Jewish people, Jesus is a light of the world, the whole cosmos. But notice the Pharisees' response to Jesus' claim and declaration that he is the light of the world. In verse 13 we read, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony. It's not true. Now in Old Testament Mosaic law, in order for something to be true, you had to have at least the testimony of two, according to Deuteronomy 17. And so the Pharisees are pointing out that, Jesus, your testimony can't be true. You're, you're speaking on your own behalf. How do we know what you say is true? Listen again to Jesus' response. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where i am come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Now, most scholars point out that at this point in Jesus' life, he's 30 years old when he's launched this public ministry, and his stepfather, Joseph, is probably dead. He's never mentioned in his adult ministry. Chances are Joseph has passed away, and people knew that Jesus was from Nazareth. He was the son of a carpenter. At least that's what everyone thought. And so they, they really confused at this point, like, where is your father? I thought your dad was dead. What do you mean, you and your father and your father? And sent, how could your father send you? Isn't he dead? Of course, we know from Jesus' response that he's not talking about his earthly father, his stepfather, Joseph. He's talking about our heavenly father. It's his heavenly father who sent him here to this earth to save us all, to be a light to the world. As we read just a few weeks ago in the very prologue of John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verses 9 to 13, we read these words. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come, is, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of the blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. And he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. 
Jesus came first to the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He came to the Jews, and yet they did not recognize him. Why is it that the scribes and the Pharisees, who were supposed to be experts in the law, why didn't they recognize Jesus, the light of the world? After all, his heavenly Father has sent Jesus to to light all of our paths. Why don't they recognize Jesus as the true light for all of us today? Well, as we read last week in John chapter 3, as Jesus speaks to, his, to Nicodemus, another Pharisee, he points out that people don't want to see the light or recognize the light, ultimately because in their pride, their deeds are evil. In John three nineteen to 20, we read this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The Pharisees in their pride didn't want to humble themselves and recognize that Jesus was the light because they were receiving, receiving the adoration and accolades of others. In fact, we saw in the Sermon on the Mount earlier this fall that the Pharisees did a lot of their righteous acts in order to be seen by others. They prayed and they gave and they fasted for the adulation and the adoration of others. Ultimately, though, the Pharisee's heart was not right. Sure, they may not murder, they may not commit adultery, but yet in their heart they had anger and they were guilty of judgment. They had lustful thoughts. They were all kinds of evil within. They needed their heart to be transformed like our hearts need to be transformed today. The truth is that as we draw near to the light of Christ and we see the goodness and the love and the grace of Christ, we recognize that Well, we need to change. We're not as good as he is. We don't recognize how dirty we are until we really draw near to the light of Christ. Reminds me of a moment in my life when I was in the third grade. Uh, They were building some new houses around my my old house that I lived on in Illinois in Midland, Texas. And my friends and I realized that as they were moving these mounds and mounds of dirt for this new development area, that they made for pretty good dirt hills on our dirt bike. And so we would ride up and down these dirt hills over the weekend and had a lot of fun. And one night, I remember specifically driving, uh, riding my bike up and down these hills until the sun came down, which I didn't have a watch then, so that was the, the time. It's like, time to come home. You know, it's dark. So as I walked into my house, my mom yelled at me right away and said, stop right there, mister. You're filthy. I said, I am? And I looked and I was. I was covered in a thin layer of dirt. It wasn't until I came into the light of the house that I could see how dirty I was. Because the truth is, is that we come into the light of Christ and we see his selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love, we see that we are not quite like him. We need to be transformed. Yes, the light has come into the world. He's been a light for everyone. He came among his own, but his own did not recognize him because their deeds were evil. Notice in our text that as he continues to speak to them, he tries to help them see that he's come ultimately so that we might be saved. How are we going to be saved through Jesus? Look again at what Jesus says in verse 28 of our text this morning. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. 
when you have lifted up the Son of Man. When are the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees going to lift up the Son of Man in Jerusalem? Or are they going to do it on that first Easter weekend, on that first Good Friday, on that hill outside the city gates, on Golgotha, on a cross, they will lift Jesus up so that he might die as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins together. And do you remember the response that the Roman centurion had when he saw Jesus die on a cross? We read about it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but let's go to Mark 13, I'm sorry, Mark 15, verses 33 to 39. We read it this way, we read here where it says, and when the sixth hour, which is about three o'clock, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, or sorry, six is noon, ninth hour is three o'clock. For three hours it was dark. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemech sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A direct quote from Psalm 22 that Jesus is praying as he dies on a cross. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Other gospels tell us that there was an earthquake at this moment and the ground shook at the last breath of Jesus. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. This pagan Roman centurion who was in charge of 100 men to help crucify criminals, who was an expert in killing others, sees how Jesus dies, how darkness comes over the land from noon to three o'clock and how the ground shakes and how Jesus prays from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in Jesus breathing his final breath recognizes that truly this was the Son of God. Yes, Jesus has foretold his death in John 8, verse 28, when he tells them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. When Jesus was lifted up on a cross, many came to believe because they saw how he died so gracefully. But that's not the only time Jesus was lifted up now, was it? Now, on the third day, on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus' dead body was lifted up and he was resurrected and he was given new life and he appeared to his disciples and over 500 other people and many more came to believe. But that's not the only time Jesus was lifted up now, was it? Now, outside the city gates of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, the resurrected Jesus rose again and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Yes, how do we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? How can we know that he alone is the light of the world? How can we be so sure that everyone needs to believe in Jesus? Because nobody, and I mean no one, has done what Jesus did. It's true there are lots of different great religious leaders in the history of the world, but if you look at them and their lives, you'll see that, well, today they're dead. Buddha died in 483 B.C. His body was cremated, and nobody's ever heard from him since. Muhammad was, died on June 8, 632 A.D. He's buried in Medina. You can actually visit the tomb where his body lies, and it, no one has heard from him since either. 
Confucius died in November 21st, 479 B.C. in China. He is buried. You can go where they laid him, but he's dead. But Jesus is alive because Christ is risen. And this Christmas, we need to remember that. I don't know about you, but this Christmas will be different because certain family members won't be at the Christmas table. My mother passed away in January. My mother-in-law passed away in March. My uncle died in June. And this past week, I was writing letters that many of you will receive as I've become aware that you lost a loved one this past year as well. As for many of us, we've lost parents, aunts, uncles, even children. And this Christmas, as we gather together at the table, that special someone won't be here. And while we miss them and we will grieve their passing, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, nothing can separate us from love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not even death itself. Yes, this Christmas, may we experience Christ's loving presence as we remember that God doesn't abandon us in our sin. No, he actually becomes one of us so that he might save us, so that he might be a light to the whole world, so that everyone, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews alike, may, may come to Jesus and experience the eternal life, the transforming life, the abundant life that he came to bring. I know for many people, the acronym ETA means estimated time of arrival. Well, for us as followers of Jesus, I've thought about that, and you know, that could represent eternal, transformed, and abundant. That's the kind of life that Jesus has come to bring to each one of us if we will come to him in faith. As Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever, this invitation is open to whoever wants to come. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus makes an exclusive claim about an inclusive love. I am the light of the world. There's no one like him. But whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So how do we follow Jesus today? Well, as I've spent the week thinking about that, I think about what it means to follow Jesus today. I, I can't help but think about the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at this past fall. And I think the best way to seek to live out the Sermon on the Mount is by doing what you find in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's to pray. Specifically, we find the Lord's Prayer. Well, we pray that God's name might be hallowed or glorified. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Every day we should pray that God might be glorified in and through us, that his kingdom would come, that Christ would return, and that his will would be done in and through us. As we give thanks to God for his daily provision, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, praying that we might be the kind of people who are filled with his grace and love and forgiveness, knowing how many times God has already forgiven us, and that God might help us walk down the narrow path, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For we know we can't handle the temptations of this world. We need God's guidance to lead us, to guide us, so that we might reflect his light. For just as the moon cannot create light on its own, it simply reflects the light of the sun, S-U-N. We need to draw near to Jesus, the S-O-N, so that we might reflect the light of his love by prayerfully and humbly asking that he might lead us and guide us, 
to live out the words of the Sermon on the Mount, that we might be people of grace and forgiveness who are willing to turn the other cheek, to pray for those who persecute us, who seek to live out the golden rule of treating others the way that we would like to be treated, that we might go that extra mile to do all that we can to bring glory and honor to him. So as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 16, let you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that others may see your good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. Yes, Jesus is the light. And as his followers, we're called to reflect his light to hurting world. And we will if we follow him. So how do we follow Jesus exactly? Look at the last, I didn't read these texts, but verses 31 to 32 help us understand what it means to follow Jesus today. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, reside, spend time in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If we want to reflect the light of Christ, we need to abide Spend time in his word, reading, meditating, and even memorizing the words of Jesus that we find in the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. If you've never read the Gospels before, begin with Mark, then Matthew, then Luke, then John, and pray that God might help you hear what God wants to say to you so that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, might faithfully live out these words and bring all glory and honor to him. Is Jesus is the light of the world. It's an exclusive claim that points to an inclusive love. May we do all that we can to reflect the light of his love this day and every day. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much that Jesus, in his great love for us, was willing to leave heaven, be born as a baby in a lowly manger, and then grow up among us, teach us, heal us, and ultimately die for us so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. Oh God, we thank you for the new life and the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray, oh Lord, that by your spirit, you would help us to spend the time we need abiding in your word, listening to what you have to say to us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might help us live out your word so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to you, our Father who's in heaven. Oh God, we thank you that you are the light of the world, an exclusive claim that points to an inclusive love, knowing that whoever follows you will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. By your Spirit, help us to faithfully follow you each and every day by abiding in your truth, so that in your truth we might live freely as your faithful servants. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.